Welcome back, everyone. This is Francisca, and you are listening to The Francisca Show podcast, a part of Jewish Coffee House Network. Once again, we are doing a special episode touching upon Israel, the Middle East conflict, and everything in between. Of course, we will be inserting entrepreneurship and women's issues. I'd like to introduce our guest, Hillel Fold. Also, you may know him as the brother of Ari Fold, who was killed in a terrorist attack a few years ago. Hillel is a tech blogger, vlogger, and podcaster, startup marketer, leading online influencer, and public speaker. His work and insights have been featured on CNBC, Forbes, Inc., Entrepreneur, TechCrunch, and other respected tech publications. Hillel collaborates with companies such as Google, Oracle, and Microsoft to help entrepreneurs and their products scale. He also does keynotes on tech and marketing to audiences worldwide. Just before we start, I'd like to mention and remind you that I help entrepreneurs, leaders, rabbis, schools launch and produce their podcasts, as well as monetize their podcasts. So if you or anyone you know who needs these services, please do reach out to me. Links are in the show notes. Also, I'd like to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast, wherever you're listening. Lots of podcasts are becoming paid content. However, this is still free. So make sure to subscribe on wherever you're listening to, to make sure you get a notification the next time a new episode is out. Also, to get updates and to follow me in between podcasts, make sure to follow me on Instagram and on Facebook for more content in between episodes. And if you haven't yet, please go back and listen to our past episodes. We just did an excellent birth control panel with Rabbi Scott. Khan and Tali Rosenbaum and Yoetzed and Rebetzin, Rifki Frondlich. So make sure to circle back, check what you have missed, and keep listening. Thank you for all the support and all your feedback. Keep it coming. I really appreciate it. Without any further ado, here we go. Today with us, we have Hillel Fold, who is a global tech marketer. And the reason for our discussion today is to bring a positive light onto the Israel, pro-Israel slash conversation in a space where it might be politically incorrect, especially in the tech space with millennials, with people who are very democratic and forward-thinking in the democratic states. So thank you, Hill, for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. For someone like me, who doesn't really watch the news, and I live in Philadelphia, and for people I interact with in the entrepreneurship space who would rather not know what's going on in the Middle East when it's not being pushed on a lot of media today, can you tell us in a couple of sentences what's going on or what has been going on in the last few weeks in Israel? Uh, sure, but uh, I should give a warning, a disclaimer that you know, if, if whoever's listening is even remotely anti-Israel, they're not going to like what I'm about to say. So just that's, that's a disclaimer. And why is that? Okay, because, you know, there's this narrative, this global narrative um, that is being pumped on all mainstream media outlets that isn't a white lie. It's just blatant fabrication of history. Like, I'm talking like literally zero truth to it. And we'll start with the fact that there has never been, and this has become cliche already, but it's really important that people understand this because people talk about occupation. Who are we occupying? There has never been, I'm going to say this slowly, there has never been an Arab-Palestinian state in the history of mankind. And if whoever's listening, 
you know, debates that, then please, by all means, tell me, when was the Arab-Palestinian state established? Who was the prime minister or president? What was the language? What was the currency? What was the culture? What was the food? It's never existed. Don't bother. And the fact that the world, you know, keeps pumping this lie that we occupied the Palestinian state, it's, it's again, it's just blatant, 100% fabrication of history. In 1948, the UN gave Israel and the Arabs, and I'm saying Arabs, not Palestinians, because the word Palestinian was invented by a terrorist, Yasser Arafat, in 1964. And if you look at the charter of the PLO, their existence in this world is so that there is no Israel. They don't want a state, okay? In 1947, the UN gave Israel and the Arabs a state. Israel graciously accepted, graciously accepted, and we, we, we were home. What did the Arabs do? Not only did they reject the offer, but they attacked along with many of their many of our neighbors. They brought all the Arab nations and they attacked. You know what happened next? They lost. Game over. But the world, for some reason, is so obsessed with this lie. I mean, there has never been, you know, um, an occupation where you have refugees for this long. Ever. Like there are refugees in the world. We're talking 70, like 73 years, like move on already. You, like it's the whole thing. I don't even know where to start. It's all one big lie. And it's, it's pathetic because anyone who's a half a brain sees what's going on here. It's the new, you know, the Jews control the media. It's the new Jews kill Jesus. It's the new Jews didn't accept. It's every generation. There's a new reason to hate the Jews. And today it's Zionism. And everyone that says anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism. Again, like stop. You're, you're fooling yourself. Just say it. You're an anti-Semite, and that's okay. Fine. There are anti-Semites in the world, but to say that anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism, that's literally like saying anti-Jesus is not anti-Christian. Zionism, 95% of the Jews in the world are Zionists. Zionism, the love for Zion, as in Jerusalem, as in Israel, is in our prayers thousands of times. It's mentioned in our Bible thousands of times. For the record, Jerusalem is not mentioned in the Quran once. So like, I can keep going. It's all just lies to justify Jew hatred. Good old-fashioned Jew hatred. We didn't kill Jesus. We don't use Christian blood in our bread. We didn't not accept Muhammad. And we didn't occupy Palestine. Just stop with it already. You want to hate Jews? Go ahead and hate Jews. But stop making things up. It's super frustrating, as you can tell. Yes, I can definitely hear that. So what's been going on in the last two weeks? So, um, you know, the, the Hamas, and let's just, let's just rewind a little bit. Israel uh, evacuated Gaza, literally uprooted thousands of Jewish families, friends of mine, literally. Uh, and as they say, we ethnically cleansed Gaza from Jews. There's not one Jew in Gaza. We handed it over to the Palestinians on a silver platter. What did they do? Once again, they elected Hamas, a terrorist organization, democratically, I might add, and every so often, they decide for no apparent reason or they find some ridiculous excuse to start another round of violence. And so, you know, all of the politicians who supported the disengagement from Gaza, you can watch the videos. They're all on YouTube. All of them said, if one rocket, if one rocket flies from Gaza into Israel, we're taking Gaza back. We're talking about 4,500 rockets landed on our heads in the last two weeks. 4,500. Can you imagine any country in the world? Any country accepting that reality, 4,500 missiles, rockets. It's By the way, it's not missiles. Missiles would be an upgrade. You know why? Because missiles you can aim. Rockets fall arbitrarily. There is no GPS. There is no – and so they're just landing on civilians' heads. No other country would accept that. And so we didn't accept it, and we fought back. And, of course, once we retaliate, all the anti-Semites come out to play. Israel's killing children. Is 
There is not an army on planet Earth that takes the precautions that Israel takes in order to avoid or minimize civilian death. The Hamas shoots from within civilian populations in hospitals. I mean, how cynical and disturbing can you get? And what does Israel do? If there are kids or if they're in it, we don't, no matter what, we will not attack that place. In fact, Israel literally drops pamphlets. I mean, it doesn't get more absurd than this. Israel drops pamphlets saying we are about to ta- attack here. What, what do the terrorists do? They run away. So we're literally losing the element of surprise in order to minimize civilian deaths. Find me another army in the world that would do that. It doesn't exist. So they decided to start another round. Israel defended itself. We, of course, retaliated. And all the anti-Semites are saying, oh, my God, it's not an even fight. You know, Israel's so much stronger. In other words, said, said in other words, not enough Jews are dead for them to retaliate. If there were more Jews that were dying, then I'd understand. But since Israel's stronger, it shouldn't fight back. It's absurd. It's absurd. There's no logic. That standard would not be applied to any other nation in the world. It is the definition of a double standard. And, this, and the irony here is the same people who are pro-Palestinian, and I'm using these, these air quotes because they're not pro-Palestinian. Again, it's anti-Jewish. Those same people are saying, the people who, who give, you know, who want to give the Palestinians a state, and who, those same people are saying to me, Hillel Fold, listen, Hillel, the Palestinians are saying they want all Jews dead. They're saying from the river to the sea, they don't want Israel to exist, but don't believe them. They don't really mean it. And I'm saying, but... They're saying it. Their leadership is saying it. There is not one Palestinian leader. I'm sorry, I shouldn't even use the word Palestinian. There's not one Arab leader who says Israel has a right to exist. So if you want to give them the Palestinians, quote unquote, so much credit, you want to give them a state, maybe it's time we believe them. They're saying it. Listen to what they're saying. They want dead Jews. Five times we offered them a state. Five times. And what did they do? They rejected it every single time. They don't want a state. They want dead Jews. They say it loud and clear. The world just wants to you know, ignore the reality on the ground and use it again as an excuse to hate more Jews. It's pathetic. Thank you for explaining everything. I'd like to touch upon something that's really interesting to Israel's army, which is the Iron Dome technology, which is one of your areas of expertise as well, tech and startups. It's really designed to fully defend yourself by the rockets that come out to to detonate the rockets that are shooting in, they're not even attacking the attackers. Let's let's just be accurate here. We have to be accurate. It's missiles and rockets. Rockets, like I said, are not navigated. It just falls arbitrarily. Missiles you can aim. And so Iron Dome, every missile costs around fifty thousand dollars and it is Again, by the way, just like the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces, its existence in this world is to defend, is to protect, it's not to attack. And so, you know, first of all, we're very grateful to the Biden administration and, you know, we're very grateful for America for replenishing our stock of Iron, Iron Dome missiles because otherwise those 4,500 missiles or sorry, rockets would have landed on our heads. Um, and, you know, those people, again, the anti-Semites, what do they say? You guys have Iron Dome. It's not fair. Are you kidding me right now? We should apologize for defending our children. Like it's it's ridiculous. And I'm just going to add one more thing. Sorry to get so heavy, like right off the bat. But you know, I'm I'm a tech guy, as you mentioned. I'm I'm a tech guy. I love Israeli tech. Hopefully, we'll talk about that. And I'm not, you know, I'm not in the political game at all. I do love Israel. I do defend Israel online when all the trolls come out to play. But unfortunately, and this is important for those listening to have the right context. Unfortunately, the the conflict was forced upon me. Uh, because again, I stayed away from it, generally speaking, but my older brother, Ari Fold, who was a very big Israel advocate, was shopping for his family around two and a half years ago, and a, a quote-unquote, again, Palestinian child, an innocent Arab child, stabbed him in a um, main artery in his neck and murdered him. Uh, Ari, by the way, uh, in his last breaths, literally, ran after the terrorist and shot him. He did not kill him, but he prevented uh, the terrorists from killing more Jews, basically. He became a national hero after his death, and he left an incredible legacy. But the reality is this kid, quote-unquote, this 16-, 17-year-old 
Palestinian kid came from an affluent family. He wasn't poor. He wasn't suffering. He wasn't, he lived in a nice house in Gaza. And all the excuses that people make for the Palestinians did not apply to this quote unquote innocent child. An innocent child murdered my brother. So let's stop with the innocent crap. Like just like in World War II, attacking the Nazis was justified, even though innocent Germans, many, many, many innocent Germans died. That does not take away from the justification or the validity of the war against Nazi Germany. Same goes for here. Yes, innocents die in war. and It's very sad. But when Hamas is firing at Israel from civilian population, from hospitals, from kindergartens, I'm sorry, who's killing those kids? Who's killing those innocent civilians? Not me. We're defending ourselves. It's Hamas that's killing those innocent people. And we have to call it what it is. This is this is a clash of civilizations. That's what it is. It's radical Islam against the Western world. And, and for those that maybe think that, you know, it's Israel and it's going to stay, it's not going to stay. These guys, when I say these guys, I mean ISIS and Hezbollah and Hamas, they're all the same. It's all the same garbage. They want to take over the Western world, the, the entire Western world. They don't care about Israel. They don't, they don't want a state. They want Islam, radical Islam to take over the entire world. They say it. Just listen to them for the love of God. Okay, so you jumped ahead and thank you for mentioning your brother. I'm sure that has a lot to do with your work and why you're very vocal about this online, even if it's not politically correct. So before we move into that section, can you talk about the Iron Dome, what the technology is and how does it work? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's incredible technology. It's, you know, I, as an observant Jew, I can't help but see God's hand in this. I mean, it's literally God protecting us. These missiles in real time, uh, basically track down the rockets in the air, midair, and detonate them. And I think 90%, I don't, I don't want to say that uh, statistics, I'm not sure it's 100% accurate, but close to 90%, if not 90% of the rockets were fired at us were detonate, detonated midair from the Iron Dome. So we're talking about incredible technology. And by the way, I just want to mention one more thing. For those, again, anti by the way, when we pull the anti-Semite card, we get like mocked. Oh, he was calling anti-Semites. That's what it is. We need to say, you know, we need to not be ashamed to say what it is. And, you know, non-Jews can't tell me, a Jew, no, it's not anti-Semitism. I get to decide when I'm persecuted, not you. That's a topic for another time. But in any case, um, you know, when people talk about the fact that Israel is the biggest recipient of foreign aid uh, from the U.S., meaning the U.S. gives Israel more money than any other country, and why is that fair? And, and you know, again, all the anti-Semitism. Well, guess what? This isn't charity, okay? Israel is providing the United States with cutting edge, bleeding edge, incredibly world leading, industry leading technology like Iron Dome and many, many other things. You know, I, I mean, I can go into it. Hopefully we'll get to tech a little bit later, but whatever phone you're using, you know, big components of it were built here. If you're using an iPhone and you unlock your phone, that's Israeli technology. If you Google something and it says, did you mean this? That's Israeli technology. And I can go on and on. Facebook, light and emerging markets. When people in Africa use Facebook, that's built here in Tel Aviv. So America's not just giving us money. America is basically providing foreign aid and we're providing them with cutting edge technology that they use in all aspects of US American life, basically. Yeah. Love that. Thank you for going into that. As someone who's very respected in the tech and startup world, political correctness is the religion or where people would rather stay silent than risk being politically incorrect. What is it like to speak your mind and what are the reactions you have been getting? Okay, so it's very much split into two. First of all, the people that know me in the tech world, and I'm talking like, you know, CEOs of companies, venture capitalists, whatever, the people that actually know me respect me for my opinions. They have very differing opinions. I sat with an investor who I love on a personal level and who I have tremendous respect for on a professional level. And he literally said to me, why are we even in Israel? We should be in Uganda. 
And I was like, oh my God, like this is the, not, and that's a little bit extreme, but you know, mostly generally speaking, the tech world is pretty liberal. And so I'm, you know, I stick out like a sore thumb with my opinions. And so on the one hand, again, I've, I've actually done interviews with leading tech personalities about this topic to debate in a civil manner. So there's that side of things where people respect me, I respect them and, and all is good. And we continue to do business together. We just disagree politically and that's fine. But then there's the price, the steep price that I pay, and I'm not going to even sugarcoat it. Um, you know, I think, I, I don't think it's actually just this, but generally speaking, someone who's very outspoken on the internet, someone who's, you know, for lack of a better term, successful or, or gets a lot of visibility on the internet, the more visibility I get, the more haters come out to play. So yesterday just happened, by the way, literally yesterday, about the 50th time that someone opened a Facebook, fake Facebook account impersonating me, taking all my pictures and now, I don't even want to get into why someone would do that. I, I genuinely don't even get it. But, you know, I had to then report. I, I posted on Facebook asking people to report the account. They didn't. It was taken down. But, it, you know, there's real abuse going on on the Internet. Uh, Twitter is a cesspool. The, account, the amount of anti-Semitism. I mean, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, tweeted me personally saying he's going to handle it. He never handled it. But the bottom line is I get a lot of hatred. Uh, it's true even before the political, you know, non-political correctness just from being very out there. But it's amplified, magnified when I express my opinions that a lot of people don't like. And so there are a lot of haters out there, whether they're trolls, whether they're actual like, you know, violent. I mean, my brother, you know, he got a lot. I mean, I'm talking like real threats, pictures of his family with like, you know, with with bullets in their heads and horrible stuff. So I do pay a price. Um you know, I, I I guess I can my only my blessing to myself is that my price doesn't get too steep and I have to stop what I'm doing. But there are times that it, that it gets pretty scary. I have to admit. Wow, I I was not expecting this answer, and thank you for fighting the fight because it's tough. And most people in leadership positions, especially that don't have so much to do with politics when it comes to their professions, you're fighting. Um, I, I, I'm gonna, let me ask you permission for something, okay? You know, when I started doing public speaking. Someone once told me the best thing to do in an interview or on a panel is to create controversy. So I'm going to ask you permission to create a little controversy. Do I have your permission? For sure. Okay. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm watching my words very carefully now. So let me start with the fact that Alyssa Milano, who is one of the pioneers behind the Me Too movement, is a friend. Okay. We follow each other on Twitter. We talk regularly. I congratulated her for everything she's accomplished in the Me Too movement. I am all for women's rights. If you look at my Facebook feed or my LinkedIn feed, I'm promoting women. I, literally an hour ago, I posted about an Israeli company founded by a woman who raised $70 million. And I, and, I, and I made note of the fact that it's a female CEO. I am all about promoting women. Anybody who knows me knows that. Having said that, there is a really, really dangerous situation going on here. And today, if a person wants to get revenge on someone, like what I was talking about before, any woman, and, and I, again, we can debate this, but I'm telling you that I... I had a conversation with a lawyer and he told me the following sentence. When it comes to me too, all men are guilty until proven innocent. Any woman can get up right now and say, Hillel Full did this to me and I have zero defense and my life is ruined. And it terrifies me. I got to be honest with you. It terrifies me. There's, you know, every, everything in life has to, has, you know, in moderation and has pros and cons. And again, the Me Too movement is amazing because it gave a, a voice to many women and I'm not belittling that at all. Having said that, it's a little bit too easy to ruin any man's life. And I'm telling you on a personal level, I'm scared because I work with thousands of women and I promote them and I take pictures and I selfies. And 
and it's just, you know, I, I hope to God it never happens, but it's just a matter of time before someone decides they want to take revenge because they didn't like this that I said. They didn't like my political opinion. They didn't like that I didn't help them with their startup. They didn't like that I didn't get them a job. They didn't like whatever they didn't like. In fact, I closed Snapchat. I had I was very big on Snapchat, a lot of followers, and I deleted my account and deleted the app because of the, let's, I'm trying to put it diplomatically, the obscene messages that I would get from women, okay? If I would send that kind of a message to a woman, I would be on trial for sexual harassment. Of course, again, we can debate this. I'm sure you disagree with me about this. Of course, it's not it's not equal. Okay. It's very dangerous. I don't. I don't disagree. I actually think it's very uh, – this analogy is perfect to the whole anti-Israel or pro-Palestinian because because you are privileged. Men are more privileged in the workforce, so that's why – if they're, you know, if they do anything that makes you upset, you could throw them under the bus. So if Israel wants to defend themselves and some child, a child, a Palestinian child got killed when they were defending themselves, now Israel is horrible. Right. Uh, and again, see this 100%. I, I just, um, you know, I, I don't think we want to get into it too, too deep, but, you know, the bottom line is there have to be some checks and balances. There, ha- there I, I literally, I can show you the tweet, okay? I'm not, I'm not going to name names, but... A journalist at a at a pretty legitimate newspaper literally tweeted something along the lines of those that say that sexual harassment, and then she wrote in parentheses, even alleged, should not be outed because it ruins people's reputations, don't understand the suffering that women go through. In other words, this reporter believes enough to tweet it that if any woman gets up and alleges sexual harassment with zero proof, it's her job as a journalist to report it and ruin someone's life. I'm sorry, that is sick. That is really sick. How about proof? How about ask the person for their response? Their rea- like, just a, it's crazy. We've gotten to a really crazy place. That again, you know, we're it's kind of like <laughs> this is a really weird analogy, but it's kind of like what Maimonides says. Maimonides says if you have a bad trait, go to the opposite extreme, and then you'll end up in the middle, which is where you want to be. And here we've gone to the opposite extreme from women being harassed and having no voice to. Women can say whatever they want, accuse anyone of anything, and there's no need to, to verify it. Let's just ruin a person's life. And things have happened to me over the years that, of course, I can't talk about here because I don't want to put in, throw anyone under the bus. But literally women who said th- those words, sexual harassment, and I've been lucky, thank God, that you know I had proof and witnesses that there was obviously no foul play there. But the fact that a woman can get up and say the words of sexual harassment when it was so clearly not sexually harassed, to me, means we've gone too far. We've gone too far, and the fact that men are guilty to proven innocent is deranged. Sorry, it really is pretty sick. And on a personal level, the more vocal I get, the more visibility I get, the more scared I am. I'm just telling you very honestly, I've never even spoken about this publicly before, but I am scared. I'm very, very scared because, listen, women have tried, you know, and thank God, like, I'm, I'm clean as anything. Like, no, I, again, anybody who knows me knows I respect women more than anything. So, you know, the people who tried to, quote unquote, ruin me were shot down immediately. Like, you're ridiculous. But maybe one day it won't be, you know, easy to shoot down and prove otherwise. And, and that scares me. Former Vice President Pence had a policy that if he was meeting a woman, somebody else had to be present, his wife, maybe even for... So that I remember hearing a woman say in response to that. Now, women have no shot of ever getting that bond like men can have with other powerful people to get an investment or political advancement or promotion because there's no space for informal bonding like at a dinner table 
anything right. beyond a. So I'm not I'm not debating that there's inequality in the workforce that women get paid less. These are facts. Okay, there's no debating that. These are facts. Um, but again, you know, to what extreme do you go? Like to balance that out, where where do we draw the line? You know what I mean? Like. I think we've gone way too far and, and yeah, it's just, a, it's a scary situation. I mean, I know we didn't, we didn't mean to talk about this, but as someone who's a big it's advocate important. for women's rights, I think, you know, it's an important topic to talk about. It is. And thank you for bringing it up. So as an advisor and coach, in your opinion, which technologies in the past five years from Israel that have changed the world and what are some that are coming in the next five years? Okay, so first of all, no one's ever called me a coach before. That's interesting. So just a, a one line about what I do, like I work with companies on growth. I help companies grow, meaning these these technologists, these Israeli entrepreneurs are building incredible technologies, you know, whether it's the thumb drive, whether it's Waze, whether it's Wix, whether it's Mobileye, autonomous cars, it's all being built here. Um, and I help them take that technology to a global stage. So anything from you know PR, social media, content, biz dev, fundraising, whatever it may be to help the company grow. Um, and I do see a lot of technology. In fact, today alone, I saw two companies that absolutely blew my mind. One of them is a company founded by a guy named Amnon Shashua, who's Israel's Elon Musk. Why do I say that? Because he has three, no, sorry, he has four companies, two of them worth many billions of dollars and two of them about to be worth many billions of dollars. He's, he's an absolute legend. So he's, he is the chairman of this company. It's a digital bank. And when I say digital bank, I don't mean, you know, a bank with an app. Cryptocurrency. I mean, no, 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 not cryptocurrency. Nothing to do with cryptocurrency. It's, it's, it's AI, artificial intelligence algorithms that help you manage your finances. So in other words, you know, how, I don't know about you, but I'm horrible at managing my finances. Like, I don't want to call a bank, I, whatever. I make my money. I do my thing. I don't care. You know, if there's, if there's a mistake in my account, like if somehow money was charged, it shouldn't have been, I'd never know. I'd never know. This, this company built algorithms that basically you get a message on WhatsApp in the morning and saying, okay, hello, we looked over your account. Everything's great. You spent too much money on this. You spent too much money on basically helps you manage your finances with artificial intelligence. So that's unbelievable. And then the second company I met today is a robotics company that is, it's unbelievable. It's attacking a space that I promise you, you never even knew existed. And that's wooden decks. You know, people that have wooden decks in their backyard. So how do you clean that? How, do, how is that maintained? How do you polish that? How do you paint that? Today, the way it's done is completely quote unquote analog, literally painting with a paintbrush. These guys built a robot like the Roomba, uh, you know, vacuum cleaner, but for decks. And it's wild. I, I mean, I went to them, I met them today. It's unbelievable. But to answer your question, uh, to me, there are two technologies, both of which are being built in Israel, um, not exclusively in Israel, I might add, by the way, other countries also have this, but two technologies that to me are the most exciting. The first one is drones, right? I mean, we hear of drones, you know, everyone, you know, we see some videos on Facebook taken by a drone. That's awesome. But I don't think people understand like the technological advancements that go into a drone. So I'm just going to tell you, like, without getting too technical, you're talking about a device that fits in the palm of your hand that can fly for five miles faster than a car and record in 4K video. That's higher than full than HD, than high definition, okay? And at any given moment, has about 19 satellites from space connected to it. And this is a device that you can walk into any store and buy. Drone technology, if you want to know how far we've come technologically, drone technology illustrates it better than anything else. So drones are extremely exciting to me. I have a whole collection of them, and there's some amazing companies in this country doing just wild stuff with drones. So that's the first one. The second one, I call human computer interaction. If you think about the way we interact with, the phone, with our computers today, like we're using a mouse. Do you understand how primitive that is? Like you're clicking on a mouse. Like what? How come it hasn't evolved? How come we're not interacting with computers in a more intuitive and a human way? 
Then comes the phone. And you think, okay, this, you know, Steve Jobs announced the iPhone and changed everything. Fantastic. But what are we still doing? We're walking around the streets with a big slab of glass in our face. Like, we got to do better. We just got to do better. So there's the whole world of AR, augmented reality, VR, virtual reality, and MR, mixed reality. That is 100% the way we are going to interact with our computers in the future. And so, you know, I can give many examples, but I'll just tell you one example. I met with a company in Israel called Odyssey, and I think they call themselves Hyper VR, right? Not just regular virtual reality, but hyper virtual reality. Why do they call it that? So I come into a room, okay? They put a, a, like a, a knapsack, a book bag on my back. And I, I know that I'm in a room. So in my brain, I understand that I'm in a room, okay? Then they put goggles on my face. And I'm now in a scene, in a virtual reality scene, another world, basically, a totally different world where I'm walking through kind of like an obstacle course, you know, over a bridge. And then there's flames and all these things. And when I come close to the flame, I actually feel heat. And when I'm standing on the bridge, I actually feel shake. How do they do this? They put actual like um, heaters in the room. And so you, it's not just, you know, VR is just sight. It's just one of your senses. But this actually, you know, kind of attacks all your senses. I'm standing on a bridge. And again, you have to understand, I knew I was in this room. I'm standing on this bridge and I am paralyzed from fear. I am terrified. I cannot move. And I'm like, Hillel, you're in a room. What the hell? Like, are you like, what's wrong with you? But I could not move. That's how scary it was. It was so realistic. It just, it bends your mind. And that's just one example. Another example, by the way, which is not an Israeli company, but the founder and CEO of this company is a religious Jew. The name of the company is Magic Leap. And the company raised over $4 billion, with a B dollars from investors, which is unheard of. But not only do they raise $4 billion, they raised $4 billion. They didn't even have a product yet, which is just absurd. But let me just tell you what I experienced. I went into their office and I tried this thing. And I cannot describe it in any other way besides saying it bends your mind because it's called mixed reality. So just to give a little bit of an explanation, virtual reality, you put a headset on and you're in a different world. You're in a virtual reality. Augmented reality is when you see the real world in front of you, but you're augmenting another reality on top of it. So I might point my phone at the world and I'll see what's in front of me, but then it will show like, let's say pizza stores, you know, to show me where there are pizza stores in that direction. It will augment it on top of reality. But mixed reality, it, it basically, like it sounds, it mixes up real reality and virtual reality, and you cannot tell the difference. So for example, I walk into their office, they gave me goggles, they gave me a controller, and they said, okay, walk over to that table and lay down dominoes. Now I walk over to a table, I don't know if this table is real or not real, but I lay down dominoes and dominoes stand up on the table and it looks like real dominoes. And then he says to me, now go over to the dominoes and hit the first one. And I go over and I hit the first one and I feel the vibration of hitting something and it knocks down the dominoes. I take off my, my headset there's no table. There's no dominoes. There's no anything. I can't tell what's real. What, I said, I don't understand. That wall right there, is that real or is that not real? You can't tell. It's all mixed reality. And you see, if you watch on YouTube, you can Google uh, Magic Leap and you'll see people sitting in an auditorium and all of a sudden a massive whale jumps out of the floor and splashes. It's wild. Like you, Totally nuts. So I understand how this would be an amazing amusement park experience, but how does this change the world for everyday people? I mean, let's just talk about, for example, do you go shopping? Do you like shopping for clothing? Oh, so I can shop for clothes okay. without having to go to the store. No, forget Listen, there's an Israeli company called Zikit that was just acquired by Walmart last week. I went to meet the CEO and she said, okay, choose a pair of jeans. She showed me her phone. She said, choose a pair of jeans. I chose a pair of jeans. She says, okay, now stand over there. She points her phone at me and I'm now wearing the jeans in augmented reality. And I'm, it's basically a virtual dressing room. I don't have to stand in a dressing room anymore. I do it all virtually, for example. Or, you know, all entertainment, all shopping. 
Why do I have to walk into a store when I can do it all virtually? Like there are so many different applications for this. The bottom line is the way we interact with our computers today is super archaic and primitive, and it's going to change fundamentally in the next five years. Love that. Okay, so thank you for going into that. Let's talk a little bit about female entrepreneurship. I know you had something to talk about that. And before we wrap up, I'd love to hear. Yes. I mean, you know, first of all, high level, uh, people don't, you know, who are listening might not be familiar. Israel, you know, let's put aside the political stuff. Israel is, is a country the size of New Jersey in the most unstable region on planet Earth. Okay. We're in the worst neighborhood on Earth. And Israel leads basically every sector of technology there is. Now, when I say leads, I don't mean we're number one necessarily, but number one, number two, number three. On NASDAQ, for example, on NASDAQ, on the public markets, the country with the most companies on NASDAQ is the United States. Number two is China, right? A billion and a half people. Number three is Israel with 9 million people. It is absurd. Israel is is on fire when it comes to tech. Now, again, I'm not going to belittle or deny or anything or debate the fact that there's inequality, you know, gender inequality, 100%. But I can tell you that in Israel, there are many, 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 many organizations working on it. And I can tell you that some of the best CEOs that I know in this country are women. So I mentioned Zika that was acquired by, uh, by Walmart. The CEO is a woman named Yael Wiesel, who is an absolute legend. She was in the Air Force, and she built the technology for the helmets, for the, for the pilots. And then she took that technology and applied it in the fashion world. Uh, another company uh, called Embryonics, yeah, which is, looks at the IVF. F. There you go. She's just a legend. She's just a legend, right? So, I mean, I could go on. There's just so many incredible, incredible female entrepreneurs in this country. And I, I do really believe when I say that some of the best CEOs in this country are women. So we still have a way to go. But I do think we're on the right track. I do think we recognize the problem, which is, of course, the first step. And I do think many, many organizations are working on it. And I do think we're going to make serious progress over the next couple of years. And, and hopefully we'll achieve, you know, at least close to equality in the workforce. Thank you so much, Hill. I love how we talked about the political situation. I love how we talked about some controversial topics around successful men not feeling safe as they grow in visibility and success. And thank you for bringing the light onto Uh, cutting-edge technology that is coming out of Israel and that is extremely competitive in the startup space and innovation. Absolutely. It's definitely, we we packed it all in for sure. I mean, obviously, there's a whole lot more to talk about, but we can do a 2.0 down the road. But uh, it really, honestly, you know, I was talking to... um, I don't remember who it was. I was speaking to an investor yesterday, I believe. No, it was a company that wants to break into Israel. And I said to them, you know, Israel, obviously, startup nation, all these things, it's been exciting for years but it's never been this exciting. There are so many companies going public in Israel. There are so many quote unquote unicorns, which are billion dollar companies. There are so many companies worth more than $2 billion already. It's truly, it's never been this exciting. And it, and we break, you know, every quarter we break records. Like, you know, Israel, you know, raised whatever, two and a half billion dollars in a month. And then the press says, you can't keep this up. It's a fluke. And then the next month comes, we break it again. It just keeps happening over and over again. So like I said, it's never been this exciting. And I'm just super privileged to be a small, tiny little part of this ecosystem because I feel like a kid in a candy store every day. How do you know what's successful and what's not? Or you're not the investor, so you don't have to make those decisions? I mean, obviously, I try to choose companies that I work with that, are, that have big potential. But, I, but I'll, I'll tell you right now uh, that I, I, I rejected Waze. I said no to Waze. So they sold for a billion dollars. That was a big, uh, you know, another company that sold to, faith for fa- to Facebook for th- a couple of hundred million dollars also asked me to join. And I said no. And today, literally today, an acquisition closed. I think it was for $600 million. I was about the fifth employee in that company. And I had options in the company. But when I left the company, I didn't buy my options. If I had, 
I don't know. I mean, I'd be worth a lot more than I am. But you know what? I don't I don't lose sleep over it. I'm doing what I love, loving what I do. I don't, you know, money is not what drives me. What drives you? Helping entrepreneurs. Honestly, like I meet these entrepreneurs with a fire in their eyes, but they have no idea to translate their technology into a business. And so for me to help these guys is is like I said, it's a huge privilege. My entire business model, I'll sum it up in like a quote unquote mathematical equation. Okay. When I focus my time and resources on value. When I say value, that can mean anything. Connecting an entrepreneur to a journalist, connecting an entrepreneur to an investor, helping them with their pitch, whatever it is. When I focus my time and resources on value and not on monetization, meaning the entrepreneur is not paying me, what happens is they have no expectations because I don't owe them anything. If they have no expectations, all I can do is exceed expectations. Now, when I exceed expectations over and over and over again, what I create is delight. It's delightful. Now, delight can be monetized. When companies and when entrepreneurs come to me with their hearts in their eyes because I've helped them so much, now we can talk about money. Till now, let me help. Now that I showed you what I can do for you and now that you realize that I'm you know, indispensable, you need me, I have the leverage, now let's talk money. And that's my entire business model. So I love helping entrepreneurs. 95% of the entrepreneurs that I meet, I help for free. I don't take any money. I, don't, I connect them to investors who invest millions of dollars and the entrepreneur comes back to me with a check and they say, take 5%. I don't do that. I don't take anything. I'm happy to help. I love helping entrepreneurs. And like I said, I'm a kid in a candy store. I sort of have to admit that I do have a little bit of imposter syndrome because I'm just a guy who loves tech and just went all in on my passion. I've never built a billion dollar company. Who am I to meet these incredible people? And I kind of feel like I'll play along until everyone else realizes I'm full of it. But so far, no one has realized I'm just playing along. But no, really, imposter syndrome is a problem for me. Uh, But yeah, I'm just having the best time in my life. It's amazing. Well, thank you for sharing a little bit about yourself with us. And we wish you so much success. We'll link your accounts in the show notes for everyone. And you have a podcast yourself. Can you talk a little bit about your podcast? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, my entire career basically, you know, started from content, right? I started blogging 15 years ago before I even, before the word blog was a thing. So I I basically, you know, my entire career came out of the fact that I was producing content. So I was blogging for many years. I had a vlog, a video blog for the last couple of years. I'm at episode 419, I think. And then about, I don't know what, five, six months ago, uh, a couple of my friends and I decided to start a podcast. And so we started this podcast called Bootstrapped, bootstrappod.com. And we've interviewed people like Naftali Bennett, who's, a, who's an ex-entrepreneur. We didn't talk about politics, we talked about entrepreneurship. And within a couple of weeks, we climbed the, the charts in Israel to become one of the top tech podcasts in Israel. And we're interviewing, last, last interview we did with, um, was with the head of product at Waze. We've interviewed some really amazing people. But again, it's not a money-making thing. I'm not, I don't monetize my content. Uh, I love making content. I love video. I love audio. I love, I love all of it. But it does open doors. Like I said, it gave birth to my entire career. Yeah. That's the golden. I might use that in my messaging. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Hillel. Absolutely. It was great to meet you and thank you for having me. And I'm looking forward to watching or hearing or both this podcast. Absolutely. Friend, thank you so much for listening until the end. And if you enjoyed, please tell a friend, leave a review, and make sure to subscribe so you get a notification the next time an episode is out. Have you been thinking of launching a podcast? Great. Let me help you launch and produce your show and take the headache away. Just click on the link in the show notes and make sure to tune in next time. See ya!